All right, gracious be to our Father in heaven, Yahuwah, and his beloved son, Yahusha HaMashiach, for be, being able to gather once again to study the scriptures. We're going over the book of Revelation. Today we'll go over Revelation chapter 21 in its entirety, which means we are at the very tail end of our study of this great and magnificent book, Revelation, because next week is going to be the last chapter, which is Revelation chapter 22. So Revelation 21 is entitled, All Things Are Made New. Now, before we go ahead and jump into Revelation 21, just a quick recap of what we uncovered last week when we talked about Revelation chapter 20. We discovered about the two advents of our King Yahushua, the first advent and the second advent. And we know the first advent included his birth, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, ascension to heaven, and eventually the sending of the Holy Spirit to prepare and to inspire the bride of our King Yahushua to await his return, which will take place at the Harpazo, which will begin the second advent of our King Yahushua. There's going to be a wedding in heaven, followed by a return to earth for the, wed for the wedding supper that will usher in the millennial reign. And after a thousand years, we know the devil is going to be released from his prison. And he's going to deceive many nations, and this will result in fire coming down from heaven to devour them, which sets up the white throne judgment. And the white throne judgment is to judge sin and to remove the effects and influence of sin to set up the eternal kingdom. So we need to make a distinction between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. There's always going to be a transition from the earthly uh, Davidic type kingdom to the kingdom here on earth in Yahushua to the millennial kingdom and eventually to the eternal kingdom. So there's going to be that transition. And before that transition is to be made to the eternal kingdom, something needs to happen first. 20 14 and 15, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so we know sin comes with a price. This is why when there is sin, there is death. When there's death, there's the grave or Hades. So when sin is removed, the effects of sin is also removed. There will be no more death. There will be no more Hades because there will be no more sin. So the removal of sin. And the effects of sin is to prepare for the eternal kingdom there in heaven. So now let's go ahead and take a look at what is in store for the people of Elohim and for those who are going to be overcomers. Let's read Revelation 21 in the verses 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And so we begin... Revelation 21, with this introductory statement about the new heaven and a new earth. Now, what does this mean? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Apparently, it's going to be remade because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So this is going to be a new reality. In the same way, reality changed somewhat. When we had this 1,000-year millennial reign, there's going to be an even more drastic change in the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. This is why it's called new heaven and new earth. When we take a look at the word new in Revelation 21.1, it is the Greek word kainos, which when you look at it, it's new in respects to being recently made, fresh, and even in some instances in respects to substance, a new kind. So it could be both. It could be a recreation of the heavens and the earth that will introduce new kinds of realities. And because of this, this is something we look forward to. Now, when the Bible says heavens and the earth, we know the heavens mentioned that will be renewed is not the heaven of Abba, which is eternal, but the heavens of man, which includes the atmosphere and also the universe or the outer space where the stars are. And so in that aspect, there's going to be a renewal, a renewal of creation. 
that Yahuwah has given for man. And in this renewed reality, in this new heavens and new earth, the Bible says there will be no more sea. So this is going to be one physical distinction, which I believe is both physical and also spiritual, because sea represents the wickedness of man. And also the sea represents the judgment of Yahuwah. Take note, prior to the, uh, whenever, whenever there is the word sea, it represents the judgment of Abba. So there's going to be a removal of judgment when we have the new heavens and the new earth. This was taken care of in the white throne judgment in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And so when we now look at what is mentioned here, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, that gives us even more textual evidence or textual proof that the new heavens and a new earth represents a new reality, a new heaven and earth, a new physical heaven and earth, because the first one will pass away. And why is it going to pass away? Well, let's read the book of Isaiah 24, 4 to 6. The earth dries up and withers. The whole, cre the whole world grows weak, both earth and sky decay. The people have defiled the earth by breaking God's laws and by violating the covenant he made to last forever. So God pronounced a curse on the earth. Its people are paying for what they have done. Fewer and fewer remain alone. The earth will crack and shatter and split open. The earth itself will stagger like a drunken man and sway like a hut in the storm. The world is weighed down by its sins. It will collapse and never rise again. And so what's the purpose? What's the reason behind the first heaven and the first earth passing away? It's because of the problem of sin. Because of sin, the earth, the world, creation has been subject to decay and death. This is why we have the law of entropy. Everything is headed towards its final death. Even scientists who study physics and astrophysics know that the universe is headed towards a final death. They call it the heat death. And so all of creation is subject to decay, and that decay points to death. A reason why there is death and decay is because of the curse of Allahim. When he saw that his covenant was broken, the Ten Commandments was defiled, and so the whole earth and all of creation was defiled together with it. And so the destiny of the present earth is it's going to be weighed down by its sins. It will collapse and never rise again because a replacement will rise after the passing. And so what is this replacement? Let's read the book of 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. But the day of Yahuwah will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works of are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The reason for the passing of the first heaven and the first earth is because of sin. It will be replaced by a new heavens and a new earth. This time, what will reign is not sin, but what? Righteousness. This is why this present earth and heavens, it's going to pass away. And how will it pass away? Apostle Peter makes it very clear. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The use of the word elements tells us this is going to be a physical destruction. So the earth and the heavens will be physically destroyed. And when will this take place? At the end of what we call the day of Yahuwah. Remember, the day of Yahuwah is a long period of time, 1,000 years. The day of Yahuwah will begin with the return of our king, Yahusha. It will end 
with the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. That's why in this prophecy, we see two prophetic events separated by time. We see this always in scripture. For example, in Isaiah 61, it mentions the prophecy of the first advent and the second advent. It's in the same sentence, but it's separated by time. When Yahushua said there'll be two kinds of resurrection in Revelation 20, we find out it's separated by time because there's going to be a thousand years in between. Here, the day of Yahuwah, this prophecy about the heavens and the earth being dissolved and the return of our King Yahushua, the day of Yahuwah, and its commencement, it's also separated by time. Here in 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, we find in one passage, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, what will happen in the beginning and also at the end of the great day of Yahuwah. In the beginning, Yahusha returns. At the end, a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And in this righteousness or in this new heavens and a new earth, what will be removed against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for the eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Here in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us kind of the sequence of events that will that, that tell us how Yahuwah is going to create all things new, because that's the topic of our study in Revelation 21. All things are made new. If you notice, the first phase of making all things new is to call us to become the children of Elohim through Christ Yahusha. We receive a new spirit, then we receive a new body, and eventually the creation itself will receive a new creation or a new kind of structure and form that's no longer subject to death and decay. We'll look at that more later on. The pattern of how Yahuwah, according to his sequence, according to his plan, is going to make all things new, beginning with our king, Yahusha. So we know there's going to be a physical change, just like there's a physical change in our bodies, there's going to be a physical change in the new heavens and the new earth. And what will be the result? Isaiah 65, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. So we know when Yahuwah creates the new heavens and the new earth, it is for rejoicing. It is for rejoicing forever. And so there's going to be an eternal happiness there in the eternal kingdom. So we need to make a distinction between the eternal, which is different from the millennium. Okay, so in the eternal, yes, there's going to be life everlasting and joy everlasting. And so we, uh, Revelation 21 is transitioning now from the millennial, right, which is in Revelation 20, to Revelation 21, which is eternal. We need to make that distinction. And so what is also created anew when the heavens and the earth are renewed? Let's read Revelation 21, 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so the Bible says, not only will there be a new heavens and a new earth, not only will we have new bodies, we're also going to have a new city. It's called the new Jerusalem. Take note, the name Jerusalem is still attached to this city. Oftentimes, when we think of heaven, we think of the holy city, right? 
which is why when we talk about heaven, oh, it's the holy city. In this case, it's Jerusalem. But not earthly Jerusalem. What kind of Jerusalem is it? A new Jerusalem. And even in scripture, before Revelation, the apostles and the prophets spoke about a Jerusalem that is from above. You see, there's an earthly Jerusalem, but there's also a Jerusalem that is above. What Jerusalem is that? That is the heavenly Jerusalem. And so the Bible tells us that there is an earthly Jerusalem and also a heavenly Jerusalem. And who will dwell in the earth, on the heavenly Jerusalem? Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Yahushua Christ, who gets to dwell in the heavenly Jerusalem. Why, of course, those who are citizens of heaven. This is why we have a citizenship, because there's going to be a city, a city in the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to dwell there with our Lord Yahushua Christ. What kind of city is it called? It's called the New Jerusalem, but it's also called a holy city. Now, I want to kind of emphasize the word city, because when you think of the word city, what comes to mind? For example, when we compare city to wilderness, do you see like a big difference? Wilderness is devoid of people, presence of danger. In a city, pretty much you have structure, you have people, you have activity, you find safety and security in a city compared to a wilderness. The New Jerusalem is likened to a city for a reason. A city is the dwelling place for people. You see, when Yahuwah created man and woman, he created them to be relational beings, not to be alone and to be by themselves. Remember what Yahuwah said concerning Adam? After he created Adam, he said it's not good for him to be alone. We were created to be relational beings. This is why the city is an emblem of hope. It represents the dwelling place for people. It's unfortunate many cities today are characterized by sin. Can you imagine what life would be like in a city that is devoid of sin and the influence of sin? And there's people who are there and interact with each other and do things together. What would reign in that city? Why, of course, joy and happiness, because we were created for fellowship with one another. Okay, so the concept of heaven as a city, which is, of course, a place of life, activity, interest, and people suggest that the consummation of our hope is supremely social. We were created as relational beings. But imagine a redeemed and rejoicing community of heaven where sin and the influence of sin is no more. That's what life is going to be like in the heavenly Jerusalem. So we see the transition in scripture from the earthly Jerusalem, from the time of King David, which was also a place of joy. And even now, because of time past, people today are fighting over Jerusalem because of its significance. However, that's going to transition into a millennial Jerusalem. If you thought earthly Jerusalem was something, wait until you get a a grasp of millennial Jerusalem, which is described in the book of Ezekiel, it's far, far more glorious. But millennial Jerusalem is nothing compared to the heavenly Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, when heavenly Jerusalem is introduced, do you know how the Bible um, expresses the joy of the heavenly Jerusalem? To what is it likened to? In Revelation 21, 2, the Bible says, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, in scripture, and even cross-culturally, across different cultures of the world today, what's the happiest time in a community's community's life or a person's life? Isn't it the wedding compared to the saddest time, which is the funeral? This is why we have the two kind of go together, a wedding and a funeral, to kind of encapsulate the 
the very essence of happiness here on earth and the very essence of sadness here on earth. We have the funeral and the wedding. So the wedding is a joyous occasion where people meet together and they are filled with joy and laughter and merrymaking. Yahuwah is for that. And so the Bible introduces the new Jerusalem, not only in the context of a wedding, but also as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, for, for us, for, for, for the men, the greatest source of beauty, the greatest sight to behold is when his bride begins to emerge. And that the beautiful sight of the bride coming to, towards you so that you can get married. That is the most joyous occasion in a man's life, the most beautiful sight he will ever see. This is why when the new Jerusalem is presented as a bride adorned for her husband, the Bible is communicating to us, this is going to be the ultimate expression of happiness, love, and joy. So I can't wait to go to the holy city, the new Jerusalem, when it is presented. But what makes the new Jerusalem even more fantastic. What makes it the most joyous place ever in any place across the entire cosmos? Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be there. God. What is the most fantastic experience in the holy city, in the new Jerusalem? It is fellowship with Allahim. Because the Bible says that place, the new Jerusalem, will be the tabernacle of Yahuwah. Because Yahuwah is going to be with us and he will dwell with us. And we know from the time of creation, Yahuwah has created opportunities for human beings to draw near to him. And when a person is brought forth close in the presence of Yahuwah, there is great joy and pleasure. We talked about this in our previous studies in the BQA, I believe. But what we see is that separation between man and God is being demolished more and more as we transition from history towards final, the, the final, the climax of history. This is why in the beginning, Yahuwah's presence was manifested in the tabernacle, and then it was extended to the temple, and then to the uh, Yahusha, the, the body of, our, of Yahusha, and in the millennial temple, and now heavenly Jerusalem. And so we're getting this idea of something that's becoming more and more complete towards its perfection. So the tabernacle represents the Shekinah glory of Yahuwah manifested to man, and it's going to be completed until it's perfected in heaven. Now, what do we mean that the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of the glory of Yahuwah as experienced by human beings will be perfected in heaven? If you remember in Exodus 33, 19 and 23, Yahuwah replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahuwah, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Yahuwah continued, look, stand near me on this rock as my glorious presence, that's the Shekinah glory, passes by. I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Can you imagine what Moses felt when he saw the back of Yehovah from a distance hiding in the crevice of a rock? The Bible says after this incident, when he walked down from the mountain to meet the people, he was glowing. That represents how the, the glory that he was able to absorb from that incident. But then if you notice, Yahuwah says, you cannot see my face and live. That's because our human bodies are not yet in such a condition that we can receive this level of perfection that is represented by the glory of Yahuwah. And so in heaven, our bodies are going to be changed. We will be able to witness and experience face-to-face -face 
Yahuwah Elohim. This is why the glory that was experienced by Moses when he was on the mountain that pales in comparison to what we will experience in the heavens, in the heavenly Jerusalem. This is why the presence of Yahuwah, his Shekinah glory from the time of the tabernacle to heaven is going to transition into perfection. It will be complete. Our experience will be supreme there in the kingdom of heaven. And what also shall be no more in the kingdom of heaven, because there's a lot of new things, but what will, what will be absent in heaven. In Revelation 21, verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So what will be absent in heaven? There's no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. Here, in our present heavens and earth, this is predominant, is it not? There's always death and sorrow and crying and pain. Wherever you go, it doesn't matter if it's a third world country or a superpower country. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're famous. It doesn't matter if you're super smart. You're going to experience death, sorrow, crying, and pain. But in the New Jerusalem, none of that is going to be present. And after this was seen by the Apostle John in his vision, he hears a voice. And what does the voice say? Let's read five to six. Then he who sat on the throne said, and this is amazing, because the, the one who's speaking to Apostle John now is the one who sat on the throne. This would be Yahuwah. Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, I will give you the fountain of the water of life, really to him who thirsts. This is amazing because there's the instruction by Yahuwah himself to the apostle John. Can you imagine receiving this kind of instruction um, from Yahuwah? He says, write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, why is that important? Because our hope for heaven is not based on wishful thinking. It's deeply rooted in truth. When we read Revelation 21, 1 to 4, it sounds kind of like too good to be true, right? It's like fantasy. It's like it cannot be because it sounds so fantastic. This is why Apostle John received that word. Maybe Apostle John was thinking, this can't be true. When he saw his vision, he probably saw and heard things that he could not properly express in words. And he probably doubted, is this really true? <laughs> and so the Apostle John heard a voice from you and says, write these, write these words down so that we can read it, so that we can hope based upon truth. He says, these words are true and faithful. In other words, you can count on the fulfillment of what Yahuwah has said and what Yahuwah has revealed in Revelation 21. Yes! There is a heavenly Jerusalem filled with joy, filled with the presence of Yahuwah Elohim himself. This is why Yahuwah says, I make all things new. And so this should all inspire us. Because right now here on this earth, we are sometimes going through difficult times, right? We're going through pain and sadness. But all we can say is this, brethren. No matter what pain you're going through now, no matter what sadness you're experiencing now, guess what? That's not permanent. It's temporary. What is permanent, permanent is the things that will become new. What is permanent is not the present experience, but the experience when Yahuwah fulfills and completes what he says, I make all things new. Yahuwah will make all things new. And when will he begin to make all things new? When we read Revelation 21, we find like the climax of Yahuwah's plan for making all things new. But the beginning of this work of making all things new actually began after the death of our king, Yahushua. Remember, the plan and purpose of Yahuwah comes in a twofold 
twofold, it comes in two parts. The first part is redemption, the death, the suffering death and resurrection of our King Yahushua. And then we have the work of restoration, right? So we have redemption, restoration. Restoration is when he makes all things new. And the work of restoration began back in the first century. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Apostle Paul, just like the prophecy in 2 Peter, Isaiah 61, and in, in, in John 5, 29, he is speaking about events that are going to take place after the passage of a certain amount of time. Right, And so the beginning of this plan to create anew or to create all things and making all things becoming new begins with Yahusha. And so after we are created anew, we have a new identity in Yahusha. The transition will follow one after the other until the climax happens when all things have become new. So when it says all things new, it begins with a new identity in Yahusha. That's baptism. We receive a new spirit, which is like what Apostle Paul said, a deposit, right, of our guarantee. Then we have a new body, which will take place at the Harpazo. And then there's going to be a new creation, which will take place after the millennium. And we're going to see the new city. And this will basically kind of be the climax. This is when Yahuwah says all things are done according to his plan of restoration. So all things are going to be made new. That is what we hope is going to happen. We already are in the process towards that because we already have a new identity with Yahusha. And now we have the spirit of Yahusha in us. And we're awaiting the new body, the new creation and the new city. That is what we look forward to. And when the Bible says all things are new, it's going to remain new. Because in the new, when all things are made new, Bible says there will be no more death and decay. The only reason why new things become old is because of the process of decay, the law of entropy. Death and decay makes new things, old things in the passage of time. But when all things are new and there's no more death and decay, then it will always be fresh. It will always be new. So that's what we are anticipating and looking forward to in the new Jerusalem. But who will inherit the new Jerusalem? Revelation 21 verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his Elohim and he shall be my son. Brethren. Revelation, the book of Revelation began, Revelation 1, 2, and 3, which is the message of Yahusha to the assemblies, and his message was to overcome. This is why if you have the chance, please check our worship service videos concerning the message of our King Yahusha on the seven assemblies, because it will equip us, it will help us to be overcomers. And when we overcome through Yahusha and in Yahusha, then we will become the children of Elohim. So while we're waiting for the transition from the earthly Jerusalem to the millennial Jerusalem to the heavenly Jerusalem, let us rely on the work of Yahusha so that we can also overcome. On the other hand, who are those who are not going to be allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven? But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so if we want to know if we are already saved, let us ask ourselves, are we exhibiting these actions or these behaviors? Are we cowards? You know what a coward is? One who is seeking safety in something or someone other than Yahusha. That's cowardly. We want to find safety in Yahusha, even if it means having to bear persecution and suffering. This is first on the list because Yahuwah sees a lot of cowards. In other words, they're not willing. They're not willing to take on persecution and suffering. 
because of their faith in Yahushua. And it's rooted really in unbelief. And so they're not really believing. Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. And so let us remove this from our life because those who are practicing these things will have no part in the heavenly city. Their part, the Bible says, is the lake which burns, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so according to the scriptures, how is the new Jerusalem described? Let's read Revelation 21, 9 to 11. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit of, to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And so here the Apostle John is describing as best as he can that the holy city, the holy Jerusalem, is going to be identified with light. It's going to be shining. It's going to be a very glorious city, right? Because of the light that is coming from the holy city. How else does the Apostle John describe uh, the holy city? 12 to 14, also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And 12 angels at the gates and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. One of them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land. And so here, Apostle John describes the gates. And he also describes the walls of the city. And I want you to notice something about the new Jerusalem. First of all, the name Jerusalem. We can only appreciate the name Jerusalem if we have a remembrance of what Jerusalem is all about in the first place, right? It mentions the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It mentions the names of the 12 apostles of the land. There's going to be no appreciation of these names unless we remember the events of the history of the earth, of the world. And so there's this continuation in the history. From history to eternity, there's going to be a connection. And so when the Bible says all things are made new, it doesn't mean our memories are going to be erased. This is why instead of our memories being erased, our cognitive capacity will be expanded. And all the pains that we went through on earth, we will have a new understanding of them. Just like you have a full understanding of the individual stitches when you see the whole tapestry. And so that will be our appreciation of the sufferings of earth compared to the joys of heaven because we will see the connection which will make us even more filled with joy and appreciation for what Yahuwah and Yahusha has done. How else does the Apostle John describe the city? 15 and 17. Uh, the angel who talked to me held in his hand a golden measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. So it's cubed. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. So the city is huge. It's much, much larger, I mean, than any, I, I believe, any country. I mean, you, when you, think of, when you think of the fact that it's a cube and not just two-dimensional, right? And so 1,400 miles in length, width, and height. Not only that, the Apostle John also describes the holy city this way. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. Now, it's kind of difficult to imagine how all of this makes the holy city look like, right? Apostle John is doing as best as we can. But what we know is this, 
is going to be magnificent in splendor, in majesty, and glory, because it, it is filled with the glory of Yahuwah. This is an artist's rendition of its physical stature, the holy city. And when you calculate it, it can occupy actually 100, over, over 70 billion people. For example, if you were, by the way, on the left is the size of Texas. And so the holy city is a cube. And if you were to separate the holy city into blocks, if there are 100 billion people who are saved, if there are 100 billion people dwelling in the holy city, 100 billion, which is a lot of people, you know how much space each person gets? They get a block, which is 75 acres up, left, and uh, uh, length, width, and height. 75 acres all for, for 100 billion people. That's massive. And so it's really, really huge in stature. But, of course, what is the best experience there in the temple or in the, uh, the New Jerusalem? Revelation 21 to 22 to 25, but I saw no temple in it, for Yahuwah God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. This is what makes the eternal kingdom different from the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, there's the presence of the temple. And the Shekinah glory of Yahuwah is somewhat subdued still. But in the holy city, the Bible says he saw no temple in it because Yahuwah God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In other words, the glory of Yahuwah, the light of the Lamb, is so vast. And so immeasurably potent, nothing else really matters. No physical structure matters. It doesn't matter if it's made of gold, made of pearl. What really will be most salient in your thoughts is the presence of the glory of Yahuwah and Yahusha. Let that sink in for a while. It's utterly amazing what is in store for us in the kingdom of heaven. And so when... This is done. How else does uh, Apostle John describe the Holy City? And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be no means, uh, there shall be, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So the citizens of heaven are found there, the Lamb's Book of Life. And so this concludes Revelation 21, 26 to 27. And the Apostle John, when he wrote about the king, the, the new Jerusalem, he describes it, describes it as a holy city. Why? Because Yahuwah, just like created human beings to be, what again? What kind of beings are we? Relational, right? And so in Hebrews, when, he, when the apostles were writing about those who were have a relationship with each other and have a social life with each other in the, in the heavenly city, who will they be? Let's read right? Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So this is the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly, not the millennial, but the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. So we will be with angels. We will interact with angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, so the, the assembly, those who belong to the body of Yahushua, who are registered in heaven, to God the judges of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And so even the Old Testament saints, right, like Moses, they're going to be, they're going to be added to the body of Yahushua. They will be made perfect. And to Yahushua, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of spring, uh, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so when we're, we are in the holy city, a place where we interact and enjoy each other's company and fellowship, who's going to be there? Yahuwah, Yahusha, angels, and those who have their names written in the book of life. And so it's going to be a place where there's no more loneliness. 
and there's going to be a, it's going to be a place where we enjoy each other, love each other, and be in the midst of the presence of Yahuwah and his beloved son, Yahushua. As a matter of fact, the, the reason why this place is going to be so magnificent is also described by Hebrews 11.10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This city is unique. This city is different. Why? Because of the architect and the builder. Who is the architect? Yahuwah. Who is the builder? Yahuwah. Not only does Yahuwah design it, he also builds it. And so, you know, it's out of this world. Nothing on earth can even compare with what Yahuwah will build, what Yahuwah has envisioned and planned for the holy city. And when the Bible says that Yahuwah is the architect, because he is the, an architect that has no limits, when he is planning and designing the city, he also has in mind not only the city itself, but reality itself. This is why in his building of the new holy city, it is the climax of a transition of events, a transition of purposes and plans that we can barely um, imagine about. This is why the, the main thought of Revelation 21, I believe is Revelation 21, 5 to 6, where Yahuwah tells the Apostle John to write down everything you see. And then Yahuwah says, I make all things new. And then after he says that, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, when Yahuwah created creation in the beginning, he already knows its end. Why? He's outside his creation. The Beginning and the end are one and the same to him. He knows the beginning uh, and the end. He knows the end from the beginning because he's eternal. And so when he told the Apostle John, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, he's telling Apostle John what he did in the beginning had a purpose. What he allowed to happen in the beginning had a purpose. And what he will do is cause all things to work together for good so that the end will reveal his glory. This is why when he started creation at the beginning, he aims to fulfill its purpose. That's why he says it is done. <laughs> when will it be done? When the new Jerusalem is presented and we will dwell there forever with Yahuwah, which takes us back to the beginning. When we think of the beginning, who do we think about? Adam, Eve, Garden of Eden, right? And so sometimes when we ask questions about the Bible, sometimes we blame Yahuwah. Why did Yahuwah allow Adam and Eve to fall in the first place? And there are many people who kind of blame Adam for our situation. We have a lot of pain and suffering, and they blame Adam and Eve because of what they did, right? But I want to ask you the following question. Do you think Yahuwah's plan was set back? Was he like surprised when in the garden, Adam and Eve fell? Did Yahuwah have a setback in his plan at the garden where he created Adam and Eve? Was this like Yahuwah's plan failed? Because Adam and Eve, uh, they, were tempted, uh, they were tempted and they fell into sin. And this brought pain and suffering and death. What do you think? Do you think Yahuwah's plan <laughs> failed at the garden of Eden? Remember what the Apostle John said. Yahuwah himself says, I am the, the beginning and the end. What I say will do, I will do, he will do. And he says, it is done. And so when we incorporate that truth that the Apostle John wrote, because Yahuwah said, write this. When Yahuwah says, I am the beginning and the end, then we have to conclude. Yahuwah knew all along, right? That Adam and Eve would fall. But why would he create Adam and Eve in the first place? Well, let's read. Book of Ephesians 1, 3 down to 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jehusha Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ, to Yahushua Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of, his, of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in christ to be put into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even christ and so why do we say that yahuwah's plan was messed up by the why do we say that yahuwah's plan was not messed up by the devil when eve ate the forbidden fruit and Adam took a bite as well, bringing creation to become subject to death and decay. That's because Yahuwah knew that was going to happen. Before the creation of the world, Yahuwah already knew what Adam and Eve were going to do. But why did Yahuwah pursue it? Because instead of creating a robotic, Adam and Eve. He wanted people who have freedom to choose. Why? Because by having the freedom to choose, you're able to love. And love is what Yahuwah is all about. This is why he created Adam and Eve. But even before he created Adam and Eve, even before he created the world, he already had a plan. And what is his plan? Yahusha. He created Adam and Eve with the plan and purpose and intention that somewhere along that timeline, according to his plan, there's going to be the work of redemption and restoration beginning with Yahushua. And in this plan and purpose, what would become of us? We would be adopted as his sons and his daughters. And so even though we fell because of Adam, we would become the children of Elohim through our king, Yahusha. In other words, what Yahuwah is going to have in mind all along when he created Adam and Eve was a redeemed people. A redeemed people who go through suffering because what does suffering do? It strengthens one's character. It develops strength within he did not want simply an innocent man. He wanted a redeemed man, an innocent man who knows no suffering and pain. Eventually, you can conclude it's a weak man, a robotic man, but a man who has gone through suffering and pain, who knows what it's like to endure, who knows what it's like to work and to labor and to cry and to weep. That's redeemed man. That's what Yahuwah wants. He wants us to go through suffering so that we can appreciate all the more the glory that is awaiting us. And when will that be? Look at the last part of that verse. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. When is that? That's the new Jerusalem. That's not, the, that's not referring to being gathered into one body, Jerusha. Yes, it begins there, but it doesn't end there. In verse 10, this talks about the culmination. You see, in, in Ephesians 1, 3 to 10, just like in 2 Peter, in Isaiah 61, in John 5, 28 to 29, the Apostle Paul is writing to us about what? About two separate events that will take place, one after the other. The first part is being called into Yahushua, redemption. And the last part, being gathered together under one head, including all things in heaven and on earth, that will take place when? When all things are done. That's the climax. That's not the beginning. That's the climax. This is the work of redemption and restoration right before our eyes. So all along, before creation, Yahuwah knew Adam and Eve would fall. But he had a plan. That plan involves our King Yahushua. And Apostle Paul further elaborates in Corinthians 15, 45 to 40, where the scripture says the first man, Adam, was created a living being. But the last Adam is the life-giving spirit. 
It is not the spiritual that comes first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first Adam made of earth came from the earth. The second Adam came from heaven. Those who belong to the earth are like the one who was made of earth. Those who are of heaven are like the one who came from heaven. Just as we wear the likeness of the man made of earth, so we will wear the likeness of the man from heaven. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that what is made of flesh and blood cannot share in God's kingdom, and what is mortal cannot possess immortality. In other words, even there at the garden, Yahuwah already knew that Adam would fail. But this would set up the opportunity for the second man to come. And that second man, or the second Adam, is who? Our king, Yahusha. Through our relationship with Adam, we're earthly human beings. But through our relationship with our king, Yahusha, we can have our flesh and blood transformed so that we can inherit the kingdom of God in heaven. This is why Yahuwah God knew what he was doing all along. God's plan wasn't set back when Adam and Eve sinned because Yahuwah God's, Yahuwah God's plan was to bring forth something greater than man in the innocence of Eden. God wanted more than innocent man. What did he want? He wanted redeemed man. Man who goes through suffering. Man who goes through pain so that they can appreciate the beauty and the glory of redemption. Redeemed man is this being who is greater than innocent man, but redeemed man is only possible because man has only possible because man had something to be redeemed from. And so, yes, we lost a lot when Adam sinned, right? But what we gain is so much more in Yahushua. Many people blame Adam and Eve. Because of you, we have to go through the suffering. Think about it. What we gain in Yahushua is much greater than what we lost in Adam. And so, brothers and sisters, let us embrace the work of redemption. If we're going through something difficult now, sorrow or suffering, let us remember what Yahuwah said. What did Yahuwah say? Let's read the final passage of our studies today in the book of Revelation 21, 5 to 7. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. Are we going through difficult times now? Brothers and sisters, Yahuwah is not yet finished. At this point in our timeline, he has not yet said it is done. But soon he will say it is done. When is that? When he makes all things new. He already began the process in us when he called us into fellowship with Yahusha. And so we were created anew in him. We were given a new spirit. Now we await the new body and the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth and the new city. When we are there in the city, the eternal and heavenly Jerusalem, then we will know it is done. And Yahuwah is true when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And when we're overcoming and are able to overcome, Yahuwah says they will inherit all things because they will be my sons and my daughters. Brethren, let us hope. Our hope is not based on wishful thinking. It is based on rock hard truth, immovable truth. Proof that will never, ever be proven wrong. Proof that is more true than the present reality. We have something to look forward to. Yahuwah will say one day it is done. And we will be his sons and daughters who inherit all things. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy and gracious Allahim. Thank you so much for giving us a preview of what we look forward to. There's a reason why you placed eternity in our hearts. Because even before you created the world, you created Adam and Eve. And even before you created us, 
You had a purpose for all of us to dwell in eternity, to be forevermore with you. This is not wishful thinking. This is truth. Our hope in you is based on truth. Thank you, Father. We are now able to bear all things, the suffering, the pain, the loneliness, the persecution, the oppression. During times when we cry aloud at night, when we are unable to sleep because of worry, all this will come to pass. None of that is permanent because we know all things work together for good. You are working on our inner persons. You want us to be redeemed. You want us to develop character, but our hope will be true. Abba, we need you because as human beings, without your help, we cannot overcome. It is so easy to be overcome by the wickedness of this world, by violence, by threats, by poverty, by hardship. But if your spirit is in us, we know we can overcome. Father, help us to live a righteous life, to rehearse for that day when we shall be in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Teach us to live holy lives. Teach us to focus on you that we might find you and be your sons and daughters and inherit all things. Our King Yahushua, we implore you. May you remember your servants. We need you. You are the reason for the creation of all things. Even before the creation of the world, it was you that was in the thoughts of Abba. Because it is through you and by you that we would find redemption. Thank you for doing what you did. You did so because of love. And so by the power of love, redeem us and strengthen us. Help us to overcome all things that we will be with you forevermore to dwell in the heavenly Jerusalem. Father, thank you so much for everything. We implore you to please bless every family, bless our children. May we all have our names recorded in the book of life to be citizens of heaven, to be with you forevermore. Please heal your people and help us to overcome the things that we endure at this present hour, that we will remain solid and strong in our faith. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.